Vanity, vanity, says the teacher. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You could also translate that vapor, vapor, says the teacher. Vapor, vapor, all is vapor. You can see it for a moment, but then it's gone. But for us, circa 2006 in the Barranca by Mission Oaks Park, it was more suitably smoke, smoke, says the teacher. Smoke, smoke, all is smoke. You can see it for a moment and then it's gone. Circa 2006, at age 18, I was at the peak and the pinnacle, the, the zenith and climax of my rap career. And I, I joined my, my friends who had ridiculously, equally ridiculous uh, rap names. Hitman, Bonesaw, and Widowmaker. We'd be making rules like the Quakers. Well, I joined them uh, when I was 18 years old to engage in what 18 and 19-year-olds think is the gateway to manhood. Cigars. And now, like, I've always been so afraid of smoking of any kind because, you know, throat cancer, lung cancer, tongue, cheek, lip cancer, not to mention just being afraid of my mom. And, uh, but Hitman, a.k.a. Joel Dizzle, said, you know what, you know, like, when it comes to cigars, man, like, you don't, you don't breathe it into your lungs, you just inhale and, and swirl the smoke in your mouth. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess we'll, we'll give that a try. Well, Widowmaker, he, he was puffing his cigar like a locomotive, experienced and cultured, like redefining the art of manliness. Bonesaw, he held his like a joint. And uh, as I held the, in my fingertips the tightly rolled parchment, I raised the wisping brown roll of tobacco up to my lips and I tried my very hardest to inhale but not into my lungs just into my mouth to let that smoke swirl around but what ensued was hardly a puff and more of a more of a coughing fit like it tastes like trash like burning trash which I mean I guess essentially that's what it is but, I mean, like, don't let the pictures fool you. I, I looked anything but experienced and cultured and manly. I, I mean, like, I had to even have, like, a pep talk with myself. Like, come on, Jeremy. Like, pull yourself together. This is the gateway to manliness. Like, like come on, pull yourself together. You just played in a co-ed C-League slow-pitch softball game against Eddie's towing. Like, you can't even take one puff. Fifteen minutes later, we were uh, at Chevron by, by McDonald's in Cam High because uh, Joel Dizzle, a.k.a. Hitman, said, that's where they got the good stuff. <laughs> he talked to the tattooed cashier behind the counter and said, uh, yeah, uh, give, me, uh, give me a pack of the, uh, you know, the, the Swisher Sweets. The, uh, yeah, the, the strawberry flavored. Soon after, we were in his parents' jacuzzi. The, the steam rose from the turquoise bubbly surface and intermixed indistinguishably with the smoke rising from three lit Swisher Sweets. I tried to give it another go and I, I slipped the uh, stogie in between my lips and I tried again my hardest just to inhale, not into my lungs, but just into my mouth, let that smoke swirl around and, and I managed, at least we'll say for my self-esteem, half a puff. 
and then commenced into another coughing fit. I realized, man, like, it is tough to be a man. Like that night with a, a bruised ego, I went home and I brushed my teeth twice, thrice, four times, expending massive amounts of Colgate Max Fresh. But in the morning, my mouth still tasted like burning trash with the hint of subtle strawberry. Amazing how smoke, smoke, all is smoke. You can see it for a moment, but then it's gone. But the impact is lasting. The smoke dissipated, but the effect still lingered. And oh, how we wish it were so with our lives, don't we? Lingering and long-term and, and lasting. But it's not. There, there's no lingering after effect. It's just smoke, vapor, mist, breath. You can see it for a moment, but then it's gone. Like, what was great-grandma's name? Like, what, what was her favorite food? Where did she live? What clothes did she wear? Like, no one remembers unless somebody wrote it down. It's just smoke. Vapor, mist, breath. You can see it for a moment, and then it's gone. Ecclesiastes reminds us that everything, everything is so smoke-like, but without the lasting after effect, wealth, wisdom, beauty, business, age, and aspirations, they're all, all meaningless. All the pursuits, lush and seductive, they swirl around us like smoke, promising everything but delivering nothing. But Ecclesiastes, it clears the air. This book of wisdom that we've been exploring the past few weeks, it's sobering, like a, like a walk through a cemetery. But so too, it's also recalibrating. It's reframing in a way. It shows us what's most important, what's most valuable in this breath of life that we have. And today, as we move through chapters five and six, I want us to consider, what am I spending my life on? Ecclesiastes 5.10 begins, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. A reporter once asked John D. Rockefeller, who was at one point the richest man in the world, which million that you have earned was your favorite? And Rockefeller answered, my next million. Funny how nothing's ever good enough when it comes to worshiping the God of money. Like whether you have a lot or a little, it's easy to fall in love with the God of money. But she only has value because people think she has it. We give her her value with our discontent and with our greed for more. Like I get it. It's hard to be an American and not get caught up in worshiping the God of money. After all, we're the land of the free, we're the home of the brave, and where you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, like make something of yourself, rags to riches, as if riches is some peak and pinnacle, the zenith and climax of everything. But no, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Verse 11 continues, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. In his uh, intellectually provocative theological work, Life After Death, the uh, acclaimed New Testament scholar 
Notorious B.I.G. once put it, Mo money, mo problems. Like Biggie, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, says, The more money you make, the more leeches will want a piece of it. There was a star quarterback in the NFL by the name of Bernie Kosar. He played for the Browns and the Cowboys and the Dolphins. He actually won a Super Bowl with the Cowboys. Been a while, huh, Cowboys fans? Well, he made uh, tens of millions of dollars in his playing career. He made as much, if not more, after his playing days by his different business ventures. And yet, he had to file for bankruptcy in 2009. He said at that point he only used one cell phone, but he was paying 60 cell phone plans. In addition to this, an ex-wife, attorneys, the IRS, former teammates who needed thousands of dollars to get out of debt, the economic recession, and foolish financial advisors mooched millions of dollars off him. It's easy to to hear that story and think, well, that's not me. I I wouldn't do that. Like, if I had that kind of money, no, not, not even close. But verse 11 says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. Like her work, it tires her. It gives her what she needs. It gives her good rest. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. The appetite is insatiable. Like, I need more. Like, what more can I get delivered from Amazon Prime next day shipping? Like, Target will have it ready in two hours for drive-by pickup. It keeps us up at night. The worry, the fretting, the anxiety. Mo money, mo problems. The leeches, they all want a piece of it. Where's the tranquility? Where's the rest? Where's the fulfillment? No amount of money or stuff can ever satisfy. So what am I spending my life on? Verse 13 says, there's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. Like maybe a a bad business deal or a pyramid scheme or putting it all on black. Or maybe it's you've got a posse that you have to pay off like a lot of athletes have. You know, statistics are showing that two years after NFL players retire, after two years, 78% of them declare bankruptcy or are in financial distress. It says, in the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Funny, you know, you, you never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. And this, too, is a very serious problem. Like, yeah, no kidding. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the win. You know, the stocks, the cash, the clothes, the Instagram followers. I I heard a a news clip uh, a few years back about a, a man who had died and he was buried in his shiny muscle car. He was surrounded by all of his guns and his weapons. And then the cement truck just poured it all in, covering him up. Like, what? what good is that? 
Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. It's not about how much or how little you have, but but rather how you view what you do have, how you enjoy the things that God has given you. Like enjoy what you drink, enjoy what you eat, enjoy the coffee, actually taste it. Don't just gulp it down, enjoy it. Enjoy your friends, enjoy your family, enjoy your spouse. For if we aren't uh, enjoying the things that God has given to us, why would God give us more? Verse 19 continues, And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. We may think, well, I haven't really received much wealth from God. Like, I'm still waiting on that stimulus check. But actually, if your family's income is... $10,000 a year, your annual family income, $10,000 a year, you're wealthier than 84% of the world. If your family income is is $50,000 or more, you're richer than 99% of the population of the world. Maybe it's time to come to terms with contentment. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. About uh, five years ago, a neuroscientist at UCLA published a, a study showing that wealth quiets the nerves in the brain associated with empathy. Like if you show rich people and poor people pictures of kids with, with cancer, the poor person's brain exhibits a great deal more activity than the rich person's. Another article written by a non-Christian called What Wealth Does to Your Soul argues that making lots of money actually makes you selfish, unhappy, and dishonest. It cites a study from the psychology department at UC Berkeley that found out that people driving expensive cars were four times more likely to cut in front of other drivers than people driving cheaper cars. The researchers then followed these drivers to the city's crosswalks and positioned themselves as pedestrians waiting to cross the street. The drivers in the cheaper cars all respected the pedestrians' right of way. The drivers in the expensive cars ignored the pedestrians 46.2% of the time. Another study showed that the richer the person, the more likely they were to steal or take candy from a jar ignoring the big sign that read, For Children Only. And lastly, a a team of researchers at the New York State Psychiatric Institute surveyed 43,000 Americans and found that by some wide margin, the rich were more likely to shoplift than the poor. Okay, I lied. One, one more study conducted by a coalition of nonprofits called the Independent Sector revealed that people with annual incomes below 25000 give away, on average, 4.2% of their income, while those earning more than 150000 a year give away only 2.7%. 
It's like as you move up the financial ladder, the more likely you are to violate the rules of the road, to lie, to take candy from kids, to shoplift, and to be tight-fisted in giving to others. But the Bible is clear that the joyful life is the generous life, not the stingy and selfish life. We all know that money doesn't buy happiness, and yet we get sucked into longing for the things that we don't have. Like deceived into the lie that happiness will come from the money we don't yet have. I mean, what am I spending my life on? This? Come on. I was making 60 bucks a night plus tips. Three hours of playing songs every Friday and Saturday night. At one point, I could walk away with $200 in tips or more. At one point, I could walk away with two. Maybe it was rainy, maybe it was the recession, maybe it was just that I wasn't that good. Maybe it was because I thought it was a good idea to wear cowboy boots and uh, play a couple country songs like Jeff Foss. But one of the songs that I played every Friday and Saturday night was called People Are Crazy. It was a famous country song at the time. It told a story about two men, a young man and an old man who meet, they're strangers who meet at the bar. And they share a conversation regarding all sorts of things like life and family and lost loves and military service. And they they talk until last call, until 2 a.m. And then the third verse goes, Then one sunny day, I saw the old man's face. Front page, obituary. He was a millionaire. He, he left his fortune to some guy he barely knew. His kids were mad as hell. But me, I'm doing well. Ecclesiastes 6 says, There is another serious tragedy I've seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want but then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die. And someone else, even a stranger like one you meet in a bar, ends up enjoying their wealth. It's a similar story to the song I sang every Friday and Saturday night. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. I mean, he's dead, unable to experience the wealth and sucky for his family, like someone else gets to enjoy it. Verse 3 says, a man might have a hundred children and live to be very old. Like that, that is the best thing you could hope for in the ancient world. Lots of kids and lots of years. But if he finds no satisfaction in life, like no contentment, no fulfillment, and doesn't even get a decent burial, like, like if his hundred children pay him no respect. Like no one's there at his funeral. No one misses him. They leave his body out in the open for the birds of the air to pick apart, for the beasts of the field to to drag off. The jackals just, just take it away. Like they severely dishonor him in this way. It would have been better for him to be born dead, stillborn. His birth would have been meaningless and he would have ended in darkness he wouldn't have even had a name and he wouldn't have, he would have never seen the sun or known of its existence. Yet he, as a stillborn, would have more peace than in growing up to be an unhappy man. He might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, 
What's the use? Death is the great equalizer that makes the wealthy person's accomplishments as many as a stillborn baby who did nothing outside of the womb and had no possessions to speak of. Depressed yet? I mean, like, man, this is, this is sobering, like a walk through the cemetery. But it causes me to question, what am I spending my life on? Verse 7 continues, All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. We, we work so that we can eat, so that we can have the strength to work so that we can eat. Like the cycle goes on and on. Where's where the wisdom in that? And, and then we have just these unfulfilled appetites for more and more of, of wealth and, and technology and stuff. And yet our hearts are restless until found in God. So are wise people really better off than fools? Do people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. In other words, it's better to be content with what you have than to be constantly craving more. (laughs) My favorite TV shows are all about keeping up with the Kardashians. My Favorite movie, Get Rich or Die Trying. My favorite Bible verse, God helps those who help themselves. No, that's clearly not in the Bible. No, it's better to enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. It sounds so simple, but it's yet so abrasive to everything in our culture. Everything, literally everything in our world is vying or competing for our allegiance. Buy this, buy that, join this, join that, improve this, improve that, follow this, follow that. And little did we know we've become the product and the consumer at the same time. And we're constantly fed this line that what we have is not enough and only more will satisfy. But it's just smoke, smoke, all is smoke. You can see it for a moment and then it's gone. It's meaningless. I mean, everything is. Personally, I'm beginning to see that everything is meaningless without Jesus, who is the ultimate antidote for materialism. It's not... People are crazy, but I am satisfied with Jesus that has always been the song God desires to be the theme of the human heart. Verse 10 through 12 closes out our passage and it says, everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? In the few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can best be spent? Our lives are like a shadow. Who can tell what will happen on this earth after we are gone? So, what am I spending my life on? It was a, a, sobering, a sobering experience, to say the least. Hearing those words between the sound of crunching gravel and the buzzing of horse flies, it has a way of silencing the noise, of stopping you in your tracks. Vanity, vanity, 
all is vanity. It's an earthy feeling, like I'm just a collection of cells and molecules and atoms made up from the dust when I see my reflection in the smooth, polished stone there between some stranger's name and two dates, beginning and end. Some had mausoleums, some had statues, some had wilted flowers, some were just weathered, splintery crosses held together by rusting nails. The undertaker and his Rottweiler on a chain interrogated us. Chorobish, what are you doing? We had a, a Bible so well-worn that only a polymer-blend adhesive duct tape could keep the spine and pages intact. We had it flipped to a, a section of the Old Testament so lightly, if ever touched. Ecclesiastes. Uh, Mr. Undertaker with a Rottweiler on a chain. Uh, well, we're just here reading the Bible, you know, to uh, capture the sense that, uh, you know, uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Apparently, when you start talking crazy like that, Undertakers with Rottweilers on chains leave you alone. But I'll tell you what. The words of Ecclesiastes never came so alive as when we read them in an Eastern European cemetery. And I dare to say that maybe I never came so alive as well. Because there's something recalibrating about standing above ground where six feet below they don't and read the words in the few days of our meaningless lives. Who knows how our days can best be spent? Our lives are like a shadow. Who can tell what will happen on this earth after we are gone? I think there's something reframing about passing through rows and rows of tombstones and reading aloud. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. I think there's something life-reminding about having a pulse and lungs that work in the middle of a field chock full of the dead to read how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. What am I spending my life on? Here's how Jesus spent his. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What if instead of working for wind and papier-mâché castles, we trusted Jesus enough to realize we have enough? What if instead of being tight-fisted and stingy, we trusted Jesus enough to be content and generous? What if instead of spending our lives on smoke, vapor, mist, breath, vanity, you can see it for a moment and then it's gone? What if we spent our lives loving God? And loving the world one person at a time by enjoying what God has given himself for us so that we might do the same. Sounds like something worth spending my life on. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that that you would forgive us for our overconsumption and our lack of faith and contentment that you are enough. 
Help us to realize, Jesus, that only you satisfy. That our hearts are just wandering and longing for something that will fulfill it. But it's only you who will fulfill. You came, took the position, the form of a slave and gave your life so that we could be whole so that we could be made rich. And I don't just mean financially. Lord, we already know that we, since we live here, if we do, uh, that we are rich. But you've created in us the ability to be truly rich, to have you, to experience you. And so God, I pray if someone wants that for the first time, they would open up their hearts, say, Jesus, would you come in? I know you died on the cross for me and my sin, and you rose from the grave. I want to follow you. So teach me to walk in your ways and realize that you satisfy and that you are enough. God, I pray that we would not be those who live our lives by the way that just culture dictates, that we would get swept up in the consumerism, but Lord, that we would take a step back and realize that it's better to be generous. It's better to be loving. It's better to be open and giving toward you and toward others. Thank you, God, for the things that you have given us and the ability to experience you. In Jesus' name, amen.